Okay, a whole bunch of things going on in the markets right now. So let's bring in some experts to talk more about that. We've got Richard Harris, CEO of Port Shelter Investment Management, as well as Kay Van Peterson, Executive Advisor to the Board at Hoddle Group, joining in. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. Uh, good morning. Happy Tuesday. Well, it's uh, it's been a relatively happy 2024 for the markets. And Richard, it seems like the risk on sentiment has just moved from strength to strength. Uh, whichever pocket and whichever geography you touch, you've got equity indices rallying and trading at or close to record highs. Uh, what explains this? You know, it's like everything one touches is turning to gold. Is it too good to last? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, there, there's not uh, many places you can go when you're hitting all-time highs. I mean, uh, a month ago, India hit an all-time high. Two weeks ago, it was Australia. And last week, it was Europe, the US, Taiwan, and Japan. Uh, and of course, Japan yesterday, as you just mentioned. So, you know, these are extraordinary um, uh, movements. Uh, they're being driven, I think, uh, by the fact that the markets uh, felt that the consumer is still reasonably strong. You know, labor markets are still strong around the world. That's a, that's a positive factor. Uh, but the icing on the cake has, of course, been the AI bubble. Everybody's talking about machine learning and, and AI. Uh, even if they know nothing about it. Um, uh, and, of course, we're almost in the stage that we've seen at other tech kind of bubbles, such as in 1990, when the market moves ahead uh, on the rumor, and then when the narratives start proving a little bit more difficult, um, the markets will come back. So, yes, it's nice to be times like this when there's a sea of green across the board, uh, but it, it doesn't last for that long. And I think we will see some fading back as uh, realism sets in. Mm, that's really what one needs to keep in mind. It's all cyclical at the end of the day, isn't it, Kay? I want to talk about, uh, you know, the point Richard mentioned about AI and how that's taken the world by storm. We've seen what's been happening with NVIDIA and uh, a lot of the other semiconductor companies, whether those listed in Taiwan, the U.S. Uh, what's your sense? And you want to weigh in on the AI impact and how much you know, further legs could this particular sector have? Yeah, so really great uh, rundown by Richard. I, I think the only major markets that are not making all-time highs are, of course, China, but maybe we can get into that later. Uh, I think on AI, you know, to Richard's point, there's a lot of fluff. Uh, the, you know, if I had a uh, uh, $100 for every time someone's made a comment on AI and they've not even downloaded <laughs> ChatGPT to actually try it out, uh, you know, um, we, we'd be super wealthy. Uh, there's a big disconnect, I think, between what the tech is actually going to do, which is going to be huge, it's going to structurally change everything we know about anything. There's no company, there's no real role. It will not touch in one form or another. Um, so that I think you could say with 100% probability. But there's, of course, the expression of playing that and investing in that. So I think the interesting thing very recently was actually uh, uh, saw a piece where Kathy Woods was actually taking uh, some chips off the table with NVIDIA, right? Um, Anything that's new and hot is always going to have a lot of noise. I think the risk, though, is it's not something you want to kind of play the shorting kind of game. So if I'm an entrepreneur, if I own companies, I'm making sure AI is getting implemented internally because there's only going to be two camps. Those are proactive and moving towards it, and those are reactive and are going to get disrupted by it. Uh, but it's much, much tougher to play the game of, uh, you know, could NVIDIA do another 50 to 300 percent? It reminds me of where Tesla was uh, you know, in the very, very early kind of years, right? You either hate it or you love it. 
uh, and that's overall take. But I think there's a big disconnect between what people really is, are going to see the impact being because it'll change every industry as we know it. Clearly, Jamie Diamond was just quoted saying that this is not hype AI, that is, this is real. And he said that, you know, it's going to change things and it's going to change lives uh, as we know it. And you mentioned China, um, you know, at the earlier part of the conversation. Let's shift focus there. Uh, we've had this absolute route in the Chinese markets. We've had a lot of support come in on the monetary policy front, on, um, on uh, you know, even on the, you know, the financial front, markets really, and regulators trying to keep that route in check. Richard, do you think we'd probably see some more support um, from mainland Chinese regulators? Could you, do you think that the worst is behind us or, you know, we could fall for it? You've asked several questions in there. Um, I think as long as the Chinese market uh, appears weak, then there will continue to be support. You know, there's no turning back once you go on this path. And uh, we've seen this with governments all around the world. The reason that the West is moving is because there was a lot of support for the markets previously. And we're now seeing that money come through. The same will happen in China because the, the market can't lag. So the authorities will continue to support will continue to put money in. Um, I, I think perhaps what they have done early on is been very cautious, maybe rightly so, about doing too much stimulus in the economy. But if it doesn't recover, then I think they're going to have to come in with some big bazooka. They're going to have to do uh, come up with a real solution for uh, the property companies, um, a financial engineering solution uh, that will sort that out uh, and continue to stimulate the market because the differential between, say, the Hong Kong market and uh, and, and say the U.S. and European markets is is now enormous. And if you're an investor in China, it's com- compounded by the fact that the, the uh, renminbi has uh, has seen some weakness as well. So my feeling is uh, to ask the second part of your question. Yes, I think we have seen the bottom um, and we are likely to move up. Uh, but it is probably a long term hold because we don't really know when the market's going to suddenly see that, yes, the Chinese market is attractive. And when that happens, then people will come in. Right. Kay, what's your sense? Do you think uh, that we are also at a bottom with the Chinese I think in, uh, in this aspect, uh, Richard is about a thousand times more uh, courageous than I am. Um, you know, I, I feel the Chinese listed public equity space is really, really tough to call. You know, I think one key theme on this, this whole talk is, you know, it's macro. It's about seasons. And I just think they're in the drought. And all the arguments I feel that you can make for China today you unfortunately could make two, three years ago. The one big thing, though, is, of course, a lot of these other equity markets are breaking up higher, but China doesn't necessarily have a very high correlation historically with what the rest of the global world is doing. Um, so um, I would um, I would definitely not short it. Um, I think it's uh, it, it's very low where it is, but there's, there's a lot of other opportunities elsewhere that I think are a lot more interesting in today's world. Right. And talking about the other opportunities, I believe uh, you've recently been across uh, the Middle East and in the Gulf region. And we are seeing so many announcements come out, even on the you know, the political front about further investments in the Middle Eastern region, about Gulf money, uh, you know, looking at uh, investing into the Chinese markets and vice versa. What's your sense uh, in this two-way trade that we could have? 
Yeah, so my bullishness on the Gulf, you know, knows no bounds. And by the Gulf, <laughs> I'm really, really meaning uh, the UAE and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Obviously, there's Qatar, obviously, there's Bahrain, uh, and, and so on. But I really feel what we're going through there, especially for listeners, you know, from Hong Kong to Singapore. This is, I think, where Hong Kong and Singapore were, you know, 30 years ago, maybe even in some cases 40 years ago. Uh, what the leadership is doing, uh, what's happening. Uh, huge, huge structural, strategic kind of initiative. We're talking like, you know, there's over uh, something like four or five trillion in infrastructure alone that's going to be out there. And I think these are these are macro tailwinds that can run for 10 years in the case of the UAE and maybe even 20 to 30 years in the case of, uh, you know, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And, you know, as we've said many times, you know, from my side, you know, a good macro investor is lazy. They want to walk downhill, right? You don't want to go against... Uh, the, the winds. And I think anything that you're looking to do, there's a magnifier effect if you're doing it uh, and involved in kind of the Gulf. So uh, cannot emphasize enough for people to make some time and create some exposure to get out there and see what's happening. Is this a part of the world that interests you as well, Richard? What are the opportunities do you see? Well, I, I think it's interesting in terms of the, you know, that it does appear to be a policy shift in terms of uh, investing all money in domestic infrastructure into looking at, at foreign um, assets. Uh, the the issue is, of course, is that everybody knows that they're coming, so those foreign assets aren't going to come cheap. Um, but, you know, as time goes on, if you have foreign assets, they do appreciate. Um, China invested a lot in uh, expensive foreign assets, and I think those assets over time uh, will prove to be quite valuable. I'm talking about commercial assets that the Chinese investors have made around the world. Uh, I think the Middle East is coming through now as well. Um, but it's interesting. I've, I've just come back from Sri Lanka, and you get the impression, of course, they've gone through some terrible economic times, uh, mismanagement of the economy. But you do get the impression that this could be a very strong economy if, uh, uh, if it was managed right. And you can take that uh, across the whole of that region, India as well. I mean, India's had a uh, again, is have a hitting all-time highs. Um, so there's there's quite a lot of optimism, I think, in some of these markets. But whether they could survive a big downturn in the West, um, I think, is unlikely. So we're still dependent very much on what happens in the U.S. and Europe. Right. And, uh, you know, we're almost out of time on our discussion this morning, Richard. Before we wrap it up, uh, we've got Paul Chan presenting Hong Kong's budget tomorrow. Most are building in about a hundred, uh, a pretty large gap on uh, the fiscal deficit front. But in terms of real impact announcements as well for the ground level, what are you building in? Well, I I think that we're going to see deficit financing mm. in Hong Kong for a while. You know, the interesting thing is Hong Kong's always had this big, big surplus. Um, and now we're running it down. But I can't help thinking, is it wise to have a big surplus in a world where everybody's uh, borrowing money from everybody else? You know, because sooner or later, maybe that surplus is going to be frittered away somehow. Yeah. So I can't help thinking that deficit financing in the Hong Kong government, uh, at least for a little bit while we're going through this rather more difficult phase, is probably the way to go. All right, gentlemen, we'd leave it there. Thank you so much, Richard and Kay, for joining us this morning.